When it comes to the story of the Jews complaining about the food for which they were given the mon and then the slav, Rashi appears to do something which you would not expect him to do, to explain the same concept apparently twice. So we have to say, obviously, that Rashi is focused on two completely different elements of what he wants to teach us. And in that, he shows that there's a paradoxical state of mind that the Jews had on the one hand complaining and on the other hand showing incredible faith in Hashem, both of which had to be addressed and, of course, in completely different ways. In Rashi's commentary in this parish, you find something very unusual, which is that Rashi explains the same thing twice. And the way he does it includes repeating information in detail more than once. Especially when you consider that the two things Rashi comments on and apparently repeats himself are actually two psukim in immediate proximity to each other. What are we talking about? We know that when the Jews were in the desert for a period of time, they ran out of food and they complained. And they said, We would have died when we were still in Egypt eating meat to our heart's content. That was their complaint, says the Torah. Moshe and Aaron replied to the Jewish people and said, Erev, in the evening, vidatem, you will come to recognize, you'll understand, ki Hashem hoitzi eschem eretz Mitzrayim, that Hashem took you out of Mitzrayim. Or boiker, and in the morning, or reisem eskvoid Hashem, then you'll see Hashem's glory, b'shom eskvoid Hashem, Hashem goimer, you'll see that he has heard your complaints. Bir Rashi, Rashi explains, what were they saying? Kachom this is what he said, Erev, in the evening, vidatem, you will come to recognize that Hashem has the capacity to fulfill your desires. And therefore, He'll give you meat. He's not going to give it to you with a so called glowing countenance. Because you asked inappropriately for meat. At a time that your stomachs were actually full. Whereas bread which you asked for, which is absolutely necessary, when that comes in the morning, then you will see Hashem's so, so to speak, glowing face. He'll bring it to you in a beloved way in the morning, when there's enough time to prepare the food during the course of the day. And in addition to that, will come vacuum packed between two layers of dew. Amazing. So that's the first explanation. Obviously, they asked for the meat inappropriately, and that was going to show in the way they'd receive the meat, unlike the bread, which they asked for appropriately, and that would also uh, be expressed in the way the bread was provided for them. Now, the immediate very next pasuk says, Moshe says to the Jewish people, Hashem is going to give you meat in the evening to eat, and bread in the morning to satiate you. Because Hashem has heard your complaints that you have directed towards Him. Rashi. Rashi asks a question. After he gives an introductory ex- explanation that Basar is lechol meat, it's only to eat and not to satiate you. Because the Torah is teaching us how a human being should behave. You don't satiate yourself on meat. It's not a staple food. Then says Rashi as a question. Why is it that Hashem saw that it, it's appropriate to give them the meat at night and the bread in the morning? 
To which Rashi explains, now this sounds almost identical to what he's already told us. Because they asked for bread in an appropriate fashion. Whereas the meat they asked for inappropriately. That's why it was given to them at an inconvenient time in an inappropriate fashion. But Tomua, which raises a big question, why did Rashi repeat himself? You've told us the same thing twice. It's inappropriate to ask for meat, so therefore you get it in an inappropriate fashion, and bread was appropriate to get in an appropriate fashion. You've told us the same information effectively twice. Now, you could try and say, well, Rashi is addressing two different issues in the two different psukim, a question around the, um, the, the way in which Hashem shows them how he's giving them the food versus the, the time at which the food is coming. Maybe that's the issue. Perhaps Rashi's two commentaries are actually looking at two different angles of the story. The Paramari Shona, his first commentary, in that approach, how come Rashi's addressing? Why is it that when it says, in the morning when you receive the bread, you will see Hashem's glory? Whereas when you get the meat, which will be in the evening, and then it says, you'll come to know. What's the difference between seeing and knowing? And perhaps for that reason, because Rashi wanted to address that, he explains, well, it has to do with how it is given to you. When Hashem gave them the meat, it wasn't with a so-called happiness and glowing countenance. So therefore you don't see Hashem's, so to speak, glory. Whereas the way that the bread, the mon, was going to be presented to them, they would see that love between Hashem and them. So maybe in the first Pasuk, Rashi is looking at the attitude that Hashem wants to show, display to them in giving them their food. Whereas in the second Pasuk, Rashi is addressing the timing, why the bread is in the day and the meat is at night. So to that he explains, The bread which they asked for appropriately will be delivered in the morning, because it's an appropriate time to be delivered, to be given food. Whereas the meat which was inappropriate to ask for, will be delivered in the evening, and an inconvenient time, which is not really appropriate. Maybe that's what Rashi means to tell us. The truth is, it's not a good enough explanation for two reasons. Firstly, besides the main point, if Rashi does want to highlight two different parts of the story, why repeat the details twice? Why do you have to tell me twice that asking for bread is appropriate and asking for meat is inappropriate? Why do you have to say that? But besides that, Haray. The fact that Rashi goes in his first commentary straight to the point, to tell us that the bread was something they asked for appropriately, and therefore, and therefore you'll get it in the morning, which is an appropriate time to get food, so you have time to prepare it for the rest of your day. That shows us, he's already addressed the timing. Right in the first explanation. Or Boiker, Vatamu, what's the reason? Not only because daylight is symbolic and metaphoric of the shining face of Hashem, time of the bread, and nighttime is metaphoric of Hashem, so to speak, concealing that shine, the nighttime meat. But Rashi says it clearly. 
the same thing that he's going to tell us again in the next explanation. That the morning allows you enough time to prepare the food during the course of the day. And that will already explain. Then you already know why you get the meat at, in the evening. Because Hashem is not so enthusiastic about giving them the meat. And therefore, so therefore, naturally, the timing is an inconvenient time. So Rashi's already addressed it. So therefore, the distinction we've now drawn between bread and meat, which is, bread is delivered at a convenient and meat an inconvenient time. Rashi, if Rashi's already addressed that in his first commentary, we're back to square one. Why does Rashi have to discuss it again in his explanation on the next Pasuk? But yes, Sal came. Even more than just that obvious question. Look how Rashi started his second commentary as a question. Why bread in the morning and meat at night? Why? What do you mean, why? You already told me. Even if for whatever reason Rashi needed to remind us that you ask for the bread appropriately so you get it at an appropriate time. You ask for the meat inappropriately. You get it at an inappropriate time. You don't have to ask the question again if you've just told me in the previous Pasuk why the meat was at night because it's inconvenient because it was inappropriate and the bread is in the day because it was appropriate and therefore they're given, so to speak, a, a glowing face. Now, besides this big question why Rashi repeats himself, when you drill down into the details of Rashi's two commentaries, there are a whole string of smaller questions as well. If you look, Rashi is effectively saying the same thing in two different places, but in two different ways as well, which raises a broad question. Why does Rashi make those distinctions? In fact, when you start to think about it, some of the nuanced differences between the two commentaries, logic would have dictated that they should have been done the exact opposite way around to how Rashi actually does them. Let's look at three. Aleph. In his first commentary, Rashi already explained what does it mean that Hashem gives it to them with a happy countenance? It means that He gives them the bread in the morning. He already told us that. The logic would have dictated, okay, now you've told me that a happy delivery is daytime bread so you should have then and there said and an unhappy or reluctant delivery is meat at night Rashi doesn't say it there he waits until his second commentary and only then tells us the fact that they were given the meat at night is why split them like that logic says it should have all been part of the same conversation and Pashtus at face value, the logical way and order in which to present this should have been The first time you tell me something, give me all of the detail. And then when you repeat it, you can summarize. That's logic, right? First give us the information, then summarize it. 
what does Rashi do here? Seems like Rashi does almost the exact opposite when he explains the so-called appropriateness of the bread and inappropriateness of the meat. Because in the first commentary, Rashi summarizes and he says, You asked for bread which you needed, and the meat which you asked for in an inappropriate way when your bellies were full. Whereas in the second commentary, now he starts to explain. What does it mean that they asked appropriately for bread? Because humans cannot survive without bread. It's a staple food. Whereas the meat they asked for inappropriately, what was inappropriate about it? Because they had many animals. They could have produced their own meat. And the truth is you could survive without meat. Should have said that first. First give me all of the detail and then summarize after. So you see, bread was appropriate and meat was inappropriate. And the third question is In Rashi's first commentary, he first addresses the meat and then the bread, which is exactly as the Pasuk says it. The Pasuk first addressed the evening and then spoke about the morning, so Rashi does the same in his commentary. Whereas in the second commentary of Rashi, Rashi switches the order around and he says, he says, why the bread in the morning and the meat at night? And then in spelling it out, he analyzes the appropriateness of asking for bread, and then compares it to meat, which is the opposite of how the Pasuk says it. The Pasuk first spoke about the, the meat at night and then the bread. Not only is this inappropriate in the order of the Pasuk that preceded it, but even this Pasuk, the Pasuk first addresses the meat that they'd be given at night and then the bread that they'd be given in the morning. Why does Rashi reverse the order in his commentary? So we see already that there's some kind of dissonance between the two commentaries that Rashi offers and we need to understand why. In addition to which, besides the fact that we've already mentioned that in his second commentary, Rashi adds more detail than in his first commentary, not only that, not only does he add more details, but it actually seems to change the direction of what he explains about what's appropriate asking for bread and inappropriate asking for meat. Firstly, what does Rashi say in his first commentary? He said that the, what was wrong about asking for bread is it was inappropriate because their bellies were full. That implies The way Rashi says it sounds like there are two points over here. One point is it's inappropriate to ask for meat and independently of that it's inappropriate to ask for food when you're full. So the umi keres melea is a second explanation about how inappropriate it was to have asked for meat. Okay, as some of the commentaries point out about Rashi. They explain when Rashi says that you ask for meat inappropriately, it's because you don't need meat. You don't need meat in order to survive. As Rashi himself will say in his next commentary. 
Whereas noting the fact that they were satisfied at that time is not only were they satisfied that they had food in their stomach, but they had resources to produce more food. So now if that's the way that it is, right? That Rashi is first saying you don't have to have, to have meat at all. And then he's saying, and plus you have many animals, so you shouldn't be asking for meat. So now we, but we have to understand how Rashi differs between his first and second commentary. Because in his first commentary, first he says it's it's altogether inappropriate to ask for meat. And then he says, plus they didn't have a reason to ask for meat because they had animals. Whereas in the second commentary, he says it the exact other way around. First he says, but they had so many animals. And then he says, plus you don't need meat. Why switch the order? Second of all, the first commentary he says they asked inappropriately. Oh, and the fact is that they were they had all the resources they needed. Which means to equate the two reasons. It's equally problematic that you ask for meat when you have meat as it is problematic to ask for meat. Whereas of in the second commentary he says the biggest problem is that they had animals they shouldn't be asking for meat and there's a secondary problem that people don't need meat in order to survive so that's that makes it sound like there's a primary reason what they did was wrong because they had animals and there's a second reason because you don't have to have meat so not only is Rashi reversing the order, but he's also changing the hierarchy of priority of which is the biggest issue over here. And thirdly, the first commentary, he just used a pretty broad expression, which is they were satisfied, they had what they needed. Without explaining to us the practicality of what does it mean that they actually were full. Whereas, Rashi feels the need to explain how do I know that they were so-called satisfied because they had so many animals. Why the first time did you not need to explain it, but the second time you feel that you have to explain it? Now, in order to get to the core of what's going on over here in Rashi, we have to observe, or we will observe, that there's actually a broader question about these two psukim that are right next to each other and seem to be so similar, and yet there's a telltale significant difference between the two of them that automatically alerts us to the fact these two psukim are actually telling us two completely different messages. So we'll be able to explain all of this by analyzing one broad question about both of the Pesukim. The first Pesuk we read is, that both Moshe and Aaron address the people and tell them, in the evening you will know that Hashem provides for you and took you out of Mitzrayim, in the morning you will see Hashem's glory. And the very next Pasuk is Moshe, just Moshe alone speaking. And he says, Hashem is going to give you meat in the evening and he'll satisfy you with bread in the morning. Now that's a big question. Why are these two things separated? Surely it's one message. You will get meat in the evening to show that Hashem took you out of Mitzrayim. You will get bread in the day to show Hashem's glowing countenance. No, first they get like a generic message. 
First I told, don't worry, Hashem will show you. Show you how, show you what. You're not telling me any details. And then you have a second independent statement which gets into the details. That it's through giving you meat in the evening to eat and day in the and, and bread in the day in order to satisfy you. Why are they not interpolated into a single statement? Hashem's going to give you meat in the evening so that you'll know he took you out of Mitzrayim. And he'll give you bread in the morning in order that you'll see his glory. Why split it? Now you're going to say, what is this the first time ever in the Torah such a thing happens? It's not altogether uncommon in Torah language to first tell us something in a general sense and then drill down into the details. But here it's wholly inappropriate. Key, for two reasons. First of all, in our scenario, you could have skipped the entire second statement by wording the first statement a little differently. Just include the basar and the lechem in the first statement. You have no need for the second statement at all. And secondly, we still, yes, sometimes the Torah speaks in general terms and then in specific terms, but please explain why the second time the Pasuk is, is used or the statement is made. Why does the Torah itself repeat almost verbatim certain phrases from the first Pasuk? The fact that Hashem has heard your complaints is repeated. Who are we that you're arguing against? What are we that you're arguing against us? It's also repeated. Besides that, in Eoitzois, the first Pasuk makes it that Moshe and Aaron are speaking. And the second Pasuk is only Moshe speaking. That is the greatest evidence that these are not just general principles and then details, but they're two separate themes. The first statement relates to the position that Moshe and Aaron shared with regards to the community. Whereas the second pasuk and statement relates specifically to Moshe's unique role, as we'll spell out. Now, in order to understand that, we have to also just take a moment to consider that what's happening over here, this horrible moment of complaint by the Jewish people, has a silver lining because it's, it's a paradoxical moment. The explanation is, The is responding effectively to two general concepts that are being expressed in the way the Jews are complaining. And those two general concepts, first we'll look at them, what each of them is, and then we'll see the paradox that develops from the two of them. Aleph, on the one hand, is, There's a question about how will we survive, and Hashem addresses that and says, this is how I will provide for you. And in that conversation of what I'm going to provide for you, context is, this is what you need, and this is what's nice to have. That's the distinction between asking for bread, which you need, and meat, which is a luxury, as we'll explain. So that's the first thing. Address the actual need, which was genuine. 
Second of all, maybe the need is genuine, but the presentation is not. There has to be, on the one hand, negating the approach the Jews took and helping them to rectify what they did. Because if you're complaining, that tells us you're not spiritually where you need to be. So, yes, you're right, you need food, we'll talk about that. No, you're wrong, how you demanded the food, we need to fix that. That's the distinction between the two statements in the Torah, which Rashi picks up in two different commentaries. The first statement, which is, That's where Moshe and Aaron have to speak, because it's their responsibility to make sure that the Jews behave as they should. So they have to address, Let me explain to you how it is that Hashem is going to deal with you. So that you'll improve how you behave. And that is something that is the responsibility equally of Moshe and Aaron. Seeing as they were both given the mandate. Take the Jews out and keep them, so to speak, in their appropriate camps. They both equally share the responsibility to guide the Jewish nation to behave appropriately with regards to everything in life, specifically how they deal with Hashem. So you complained, Moshe and Aaron have to address your complaint and explain to you how to do things better in future. The second statement is, okay, now let's talk about what you're actually going to get and when you're going to get it. Meat in the evening, bread in the morning. That's not Aaron's responsibility. That is solely Moshe's responsibility. Because Moshe is the shepherd who is supposed to look after the Jewish people's needs. Like a witness looking after a child. So the meat and bread doesn't have to be detailed in the first statement. Because the first statement is not about, yes, you have needs and this is how they will be provided. Instead, this is the moment where we're saying, let's talk about how you were out of line in your complaints and how we're going to correct that. Now, the fact that they were out of line does provide a paradox. The fact that the Jews complained, and we can probably extrapolate a lesson from that, to, to many people who we know who have their issues with God and with Torah, etc. You can extrapolate out of the story. So the fact that they complained against Hashem is paradoxical. Because on the one hand, the way they asked for food, both bread and meat, was with a whining tone, in a complaining fashion. Which is that illustrates you're not, you're not as you should be. You shouldn't be complaining. Whereas on the other hand, the content which they shared in complaining is Hashem, you have to provide for us. Now that is that shows that they totally believe that Hashem is the source. That the Ebeshe is the sole provider of everything. The one who sustains all beings, and therefore if you have an issue about provisions, that's where you have to direct them. So it's a paradox, right? You're complaining about Hashem, but you absolutely believe in Hashem. So that's that's a, a, an incredible concept uh, that speaks to the essence of what it is to be Jewish. 
So because there's this paradox, that's why there have to be two responses. The two responses from Hashem address two different ways in which Hashem will deal with them. The fact that they complained using dramatic statements, why it would have been better for us to have died in Egypt, you took us out into the desert to all die over here. That's inappropriate. Bohaminat, the response to that which comes from both Moshe and Aaron, who are responsible for guiding the Jewish people, is Don't worry, you'll know. You'll realize that Hashem is in control. He took you out of Mitzrayim. It wasn't accidental that you were taken out to die in the desert. You'll recognize that Hashem took you out of Mitzrayim, and therefore Hashem is the one who will guide you safely through passage in the Midbar. But then you have an appropriate complaint. Hashem, you need to provide for us. Which expresses their faith in Hashem. So the response to that is, you'll get what you need, but it will be You're looking for Hashem, you're going to find Hashem. You're looking to see that David provides for you, you'll see Kvoid Hashem, you'll see Hashem's hand. And by the way, incidentally, this also explains to us why Moshe says to them, Hashem has heard your complaints after he says, in the morning you'll see Hashem's glory. Don't you think logically, if Hashem has heard your complaints, that would be a reason not to show you his covoit. What does Moshe and Aaron want to express? That there's a certain nachas that Hashem has hearing their complaints. When Hashem hears what's, what's, what's deeper uh, within your complaints, they he has in their complaints an expectation born out of faith that Hashem is the one who provides for us. That's why he wants to show his face. You'd expect that complaining would drive Hashem away from them. I don't want to have anything to do with you. Nah. Hashem hears in your complaint your incredible faith. That's why he's going to show you his countenance. Now, with that understanding of the paradoxical state of the Jewish people at the time, and therefore two issues that have to be addressed, one which is to correct their behavior, and the other which is to address a genuine uh, concern, now we can understand why Rashi has two completely different commentaries which appear to repeat certain information, because he's addressing two totally different statements in the Torah, which also at face value appear to repeat similar information. In Rashi's first commentary, all Rashi needed to explain was that there are two awarenesses of Hashem. You will know that Hashem is the one who took you out of Mitzrayim. Or you will see godliness, which is two different ways that David is going to treat the Jews. Let's deal with how you complain, and I'll show you who's boss. Let's deal with the fact that you have a Muna, and therefore I'll provide for you. That Rashi just has to link Lishtei Hanasinois. 
to the two modes or stages of giving them food, providing their provisions. The one through meat, the other through bread. Because the meat will be the one that reminds you that Hashem is in control, that happens in the evening, and the bread will show you that Hashem loves you and wants to provide for you, and that will be during the day. When the Jews complained and said, well, why we died in Egypt? To which Hashem responds with, You will know that I'm the one who took you out of Mitzrayim. It's not accidental. That's all built around their desire for meat. As the Torah as Rashi tells us, the meat was something that they asked inappropriately. It was, it was like a rebellious spirit in that. We, we remember the Sira Habosar, the great meat pots of Egypt. That's why the reaction from Hashem is not the most benevolent reaction because you need to be put in your place and understand you're out of line. Whereas when they asked for, feed, for, for, for bread, which you need, it's a staple food. And therefore, the fact that they're asking for a staple food, asking Hashem for a staple food shows that you have faith that Hashem is the provider. What's the direct result of that? Abishta will show you. He'll show you love. He'll show you benevolence. He'll show a shining face. Now, because it is a little surprising that in the context of complaining, that Debesh is going to give them the mon with a happy countenance, which is a surprise, considering that everything was part of a broader complaint. So therefore Rashi has no choice. He has to say, I will prove to you that you see Hashem's love for the Jewish people in the way in which he gave them on. That's why he has to add details in his first commentary straight away. Do you see Hashem's love? Look how you see Hashem's love. Because he gives it to you in the morning when you have the opportunity to prepare it at leisure for the meals during the day. And that it comes sealed in two layers of dew that shows you look how much Hashem cares about you. He wants to preserve that the food should remain healthy and, and clean and hygienic, etc. Whereas when it comes to the meat, it's not a chiddush, it's not a surprise to us that Hashem is dissatisfied with the Jewish people. So Rashi doesn't have to go into details. He doesn't have to explain how you see in the method by which Hashem delivered the meat to them, his dissatisfaction. It's not relevant at this particular point. We just need to know that here, at this moment, Hashem's not feeling the nachas and therefore not expressing the love. Whereas in the second Pasuk, which describes the detail of bread in the day and meat at night, and there, at that point, the Pasuk and therefore Rashi's commentary has to be about when they were given their provisions that they deserved. There Rashi has to explain the distinction between getting meat at night and bread during the day. 
Because we're talking about provisions, right? So what you really need, you will get in an appropriate fashion. What you don't really need, you don't get in the most convenient way. The bread which they asked for appropriately. They gave in the daytime, in the morning, without unusual stress. You've got time to prepare it during the course of the day. Whereas meat, which they should never have had to ask for, is delivered to them at an inconvenient time. Now that we understand that Rashi is addressing in his first commentary how Vebisha had to respond to their inappropriate means of asking, and in his second commentary, Vebisha responded to their appropriate asking for provisions, now we can get into all the details that are distinguished between the two commentaries. We can actually fairly easily explain the differences in language between Rashi's two commentaries. In Rashi's first commentary, Soisim Rashi, Rashi keeps it very generic, Vakasev, and says, Basar, meet that they asked for Shaloka Hagen Shaltam, Oisai. You asked in an inappropriate way, Umikeres Melea, when you had what you needed. Valechem Shashaltam Letzerich. Whereas the bread that you requested, that you needed. Why does he say it as simply as that? Lefishain Kamanasa Kanlevo Eres at Time in the Kach, Shebakosha Zoyo Seletzerich, Vakosha Zoyo Seletzerich. This is not the point where Rashi has to explain. How the request for meat was inappropriate, and how that for bread was appropriate. All we need to know in the first pasuk is what was their mood, what was their attitude when they asked. When they asked for bread, the attitude was appropriate because it's a staple food that you have to have. You have no choice. You need it. So, to the response to that is going to be, you'll see Hashem's glory. Whereas asking for meat, Rashi has to tell us it was agitating, it wasn't necessary, and it was out of context because they didn't need miraculous meat, they had animals they could have slaughtered. If you have food and you're now asking for more food, that shows a very low spiritual state. Which is why the Abishta's response is not the happiest response. Whereas in the second commentary, that's where Rashi gets into the detail of bread versus, uh, versus meat, which is more necessary. So they tell us, Shaila said, Hamaisuke Hagen. He has to explain why is it appropriate to ask for bread? Because you cannot survive without it. It's something integral to your life. Whereas asking for meat was completely inappropriate. First of all, because they don't physically need the meat, take your own animal and shecht it. If you have animals, don't ask for other meat. It's a, it's an it's an unfair expectation to ask David for meat when he already gave you animals. After Rashi has clarified that, hey, if Rashi Rashi then adds, the truth is, you don't have to have meat. meaning, Rashi saying, let's assume that their reality was different and they didn't have these massive herds of animals. 
still not so appropriate to ask for meat. It's not one of those things, if you don't have meat, you can't survive, because it's absolutely fine for people to go without meat. Now Rashi has to tell us why are there two different delivery methods? That the meat comes at night, which is inconvenient, and the bread in the morning, which is amazing. That's that the Torah alludes to as you go on, where it says, Because the Ebush has heard the complaints that you have directed at him. By telling us that Hashem has heard your complaints, so we said, yes, it's complaints, but Hashem is willing to hear your complaints. That means that there's an element of your complaints that the Ebishta is willing to accept as valid. Once we know that the Ebishta accepts it valid, as valid, the fact that they are asking Him for provisions, which shows that they have faith, that's the, the reason why you deserve to get bread in the morning because you've shown faith. So you should get what you need at an appropriate time. But the minute you cough and you stir up a whole complaint against Hashem, that's where everybody starts whispering in each other's ears. What do you think? It's not right. And they should let us down and Moshe's. That's inappropriate behavior. That justifies why the meat, which you don't have to have. So, yes, you're right. I have to provide for you. So I will. Meat, I don't have to provide for you. But I'm still going to give it to you, only it will be in an inappropriate time so that you will be conscious of the fact that you're, you're, you're uh, spreading and maligning the system was completely inappropriate. That will explain why Rashi reversed the order in his second commentary. Why he first spoke about the bread in the morning and then the meat in the evening. Because he's aligning it with how the Pasuk explained to us the reasoning behind that distinction. First, the Pasuk says, Hashem has heard you. Which means Hashem has heard that there's something valid in your complaint that I am the one who has to provide for you and you have faith in that. Therefore, you get bread in the morning. And then the pastor continues, but you caused this whole consternation in the camp. That's actually the motivation why the meat will be delayed until the evening. So now that Rashi's reversed the order from how it appears in the most simple, simple reading of the Pasuk, to actually alert us to something more subtle that the Pasuk has told us, so therefore Rashi is showing us that it's not a question. He already told us in the previous Pasuk, bread is appropriate, meat is not appropriate. You don't ask now, Why? He's already addressed that. Rashi is telling us that the Pasuk is alluding to an unstated question here. Once the Pasuk tells us you're getting the meat in the evening and the bread in the morning, Kosho, there's an innate question of why tuck it that way around. 
And the question is this. Devisha acknowledges you're right. You're anxious because your food has run out and it's appropriate for you to ask me to provide. That's why I said, I'm going to give you the money. At which point he doesn't even mention the meat at all. It's like, this is appropriate. He has an appropriate response. So the question is, so if Hashem says the bread is appropriate, give it immediately. Why? So tomorrow, tomorrow you're going to get the bread. Why? It's an appropriate thing. Give it to me now. I don't have food now. Give it to me now. So therefore, there's an innate question in the postulate. Why delay the bread till the following morning? And if you're going to say it's because they complained, so then it really doesn't make sense. So the meat again in the evening and the bread only in the morning. Doesn't make sense. So the Pasuk explains and Rashi has to teach it to us. David has heard within, embedded inside your complaints, your appropriate, uh, appropriate request. That your request for bread was absolutely appropriate. So that's why the bread is going to come in the morning, because it will be, in the long term, the most appropriate way to share the bread with you. But the fact that you created this whole upsurge of complaining, which includes the request for meat, which was completely inappropriate, for that, that's why the, the meat is going to be delivered consistently at the least convenient time. So that resolves Rashi's interpretation. And within that interpretation is a beautiful and, and quite thought-provoking spiritual lesson. Rashi's commentary alludes to the deeper esoteric perspective of Torah. Who we know very well that the distinction between bread and meat in spiritual terms is bread represents the revealed part of the Torah. Whereas the slav, which is firstly a bird, so it's not as physical as an animal, not trapped by the earth's gravitational pull in the same way as an animal, not as as earthy as an animal and it happens to be a very fatty bird which represents shemen the idea of oil fattiness that represents the esoteric part of the Torah specifically not only the secrets but the secrets within the secrets of Torah so when you talk about something which is oil which is typically something you don't eat and that's one of the reasons it represents the secrets of the secrets of the Torah because it's not so digestible on its own. But yet, in this case, it's fatty meat. The oil is embedded within the meat. It's referring to the deeper secrets of the Torah translated into language that a person can understand and therefore digest and therefore appreciate, much like when you eat something and you appreciate it. Ah, you're going to say, but this is not ordinary bread that they ate. It's man, which is in itself heavenly bread, and therefore in itself already represents esoteric Torah. Still, there's still a fundamental difference between the man, which is still bread-like, and the slav, which is this oily meat. The fact that the man manifested in this world in 
bread form. American Allah Nigle the Torah and bread form represents the revealed parts of the Torah. With Argus Primus Atera Mulabeshus Menigle the Torah that represents the part of the esoteric Torah that it clothes itself and becomes part of the reality of the revealed part of the Torah. Whereas the Slav, that even in its physical manifestation, still maintains that oily uh, texture, which represents Shem in the oil of Torah, that's who Primus Atarim Itzad Atzma, that is unadulterated esoteric Judaism. Which will explain the distinctions in our story over here between the Mon and the Slav. We do know that Mon, even once it landed on earth, was not confined by the reality of earth. So if somebody collected too much Mon, it reduced to the correct amount. If a person collected too little Mon, it, it, it grew to the right amount. So it's not part of the reality of this world. But it still did have a very specific limit. There was a certain allocation of man that you got no more, no less. Whereas the slav, when it fell, no limits. No limits how much you could take, how much you could eat. And that translates into the spiritual lesson. The revealed parts of Torah have their boundaries. So therefore, whichever esoteric parts of Torah are clothed within the revealed parts of Torah, Agadita, Midrashim, that kind of thing, also has its limits. But when you deal with real Pneumius Torah, the real esoteric part of the Torah, it has no restraints, no limits, no boundaries at all. Second of all, even though the flow of the month's schedule was renewed every week on Shabbos, because Shabbos is intrinsically linked to Shabbos, that's all in the spiritual realms, that whatever spiritual energy needed to be activated in order for Mun to occur, that happened on Shabbos. But the mon itself didn't fall on Shabbos. You could only actually have the physical mon during the days of the week. Which is not the case of the Slav. According to Rashi, the first time the Slav fell as physical Slav down here on earth was on Shabbos. And not only on Shabbos, but it's Erev, right? in the evening, which is man raiva derive in the time that is associated with the deepest secrets of esotericism. Which has a very unique link to Pneumia Satoria. So Slav is clearly very deeply embedded in the principle of the deepest esoteric parts of Torah. So therefore he says to ask for bread it's appropriate because you cannot survive without it. If you don't know the practicalities of Judaism, what you should and shouldn't do, you cannot live as a Jew. You cannot survive. Now, you cannot really experience in isolation 
You need the perspective of Pnimiya Satora to really give you what you need in order to understand. So what kind of bread is it? Lechem min So it's appropriate to ask for money. But to ask for the meat, the true Pnimiyas inappropriate for two reasons. First of all, they have many animals. The fact that Rashi says they had many animals tells you that they were asking for meat of animals, which is much more materialistic than the meat of birds. And therefore, it's not the kind of meat that is susceptible to what oil represents, which is the capacity for bittel. What does that mean in Torah learning? They were asking, we want the esoteric part of Torah translated into language that the animal within us, the Nefesh Abahamis, can understand. At which point you'll naturally start to block out a lot of the sensitivity to the godliness within that knowledge. And Nebuchadnezzar says, no way. That's why they were given birds to eat. Because the flesh of birds is not as grub as the flesh of animals. Which means it is more susceptible to oil, which means to bittel. In human terms, what this represents, the Slav represents the translation of divine, infinite ideas into the world of intellect. Not the Nefesh Abahamis, the grub mentality of a human being, but the abstract philosophical human mind. So therefore the Slav basically means taking the deepest elements of Torah, making them accessible to the intellect of the Nefesh Kis, which in turn could make, make it available to the intellect of the purely intellectual component of the human being. Second of all, the other reason of Tzina, their, their ask was inappropriate, is because you could survive without meat. Avuram, look who we were dealing with. It's a very specific period of history. Beyond the Moshe Shalif Nematan Torah, they were Jews prior to the giving of the Torah. So they follow Hoikol Hechach Legalis as a Chem de Genuza, one of Asaga Bipnimis Torah. It wasn't yet a time to reveal the deepest secrets of Torah. Beyond that, because we know, of course, that at the time of the giving of the Torah, there was this massive breakthrough that the highest realms could harmonize with the lowest reality. But this hadn't happened yet at this point. It wasn't possible to grasp Primus Atari yet. The concept of Primus Atari being understandable, and certainly not understandable in the lowest human terms, it just wasn't available yet. That's why the Slav was given to them reluctantly. There's no shining face means to say that the real essence of Torah did not shine through even into the esoteric parts of Torah that they were taught at that point. Not because they didn't deserve it, it didn't let, because it wasn't possible yet. Torah hadn't been given, it wasn't yet possible. Shemen 
So at that point in time, to take the highest part of Torah and make it accessible in the behema reality of human intellect would have been a serious downgrade. Now that doesn't affect us, right? Because when you're after Matan Torah, especially post the time of the revolution of the Arizal, that now it is required to teach this information. And especially now, in the age of Hasidus, and specifically Chabad Hasidus, their issues are no longer relevant to us. The absolute deepest, infinite depth of esoteric Torah is 100% accessible to all of us. So now that we've explained it this way, the fact that they could have lived without Primus Torah was because the Torah wasn't yet given. Will suit the particular view that says the Slav was a short term experience and it stopped by the time they got the Torah. Rashi doesn't imply that. The fact that Rashi doesn't make any difference between the Mon and the Slav and say the Mon was long term for 40 years. Rashi doesn't allude to the fact that the man continued for 40 years and the Slav only for three weeks. So the fact that Rashi doesn't say that, that would imply that Rashi's interpretation of the Torah is must be that Rashi believes the only difference between man and Slav is that Slav's at night and man is in the morning. And that the Slav continued for 40 years, which is in fact what most commentaries say. If that's the case, so now you ask the question, so what does it then mean that they could have lived without Basar? How could you live without Basar? How could you live without Primus Atayra? We know that Moshe Rabbeinu was at such a lofty level that he saw godliness for real. Which is why I asked the question, how am I supposed to find meat for them? Because he's fundamentally beyond the reality of meat. His entire generation who lived in the desert, who were a nation of incredible understanding, a generation that belonged to Moshe. They saw godliness. They were surrounded by the Anonia Kovet, which represented these great spiritual energies. And they were at the spiritual level of belonging in the desert, which is a realm of complete intellectual connection to God without even having to translate it into action, which is why they didn't want to go into Eretz Yisrael eventually. So now, if you're at the level that you can see godliness, and now you say we want to understand godliness, you're asking for a downgrade. Understanding is never as compelling as seeing. That's why Rashi is telling us to get the Slav was going to be something inconvenient. It's a Torah. It takes effort. Why? Because if you're in a reality that you can see godliness and now you have to sit and unpack it intellectually in your mind, that's a terrible Torah. 
We're not living in the Re'ia Belikus generation. We're living in the heels of Moshiach, the lowest time. For us to seek to really want to understand Belikus is the most appropriate thing. Not only is it appropriate, it's specifically by sharing these um, these the wellsprings of Torah. That's when, what's going to bring Mashiach. Like the Zoya itself says, it's through the Zoya that we'll get out of Golos. So we need to learn Chasidus and we need to understand Primus Torah, and that will open the gateway for us to greet Mashiach Tzikenu, Teikaf, Omiyat Mamash.